As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 130, The Life and Death of Smenkhkare. Today, well, the title explains it all. We cover the short reign and unexpected death of Akhenaten's co-ruler. It is a strange and frustrating period in the political history of Egypt. I would like to thank Linda, Catherine, and Cheryl, who supported this episode by donating to the podcast. Folks, you are too kind, and I am in your debt. I hope this episode goes some way to repaying your support. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the show. The year was 1349 BCE, regnal year 14 under the majesty of Akhenaten, the son of Ra, the king of Egypt. It was also regnal year one under the majesty of Smenkhkare, the mysterious figure whom Akhenaten appointed as a co-ruler. Egypt now had two kings, a strange situation that does not happen very often. By regnal year 14, Akhenaten was probably in his early 30s, and he had accomplished a great deal in his reign, all things considered. His power was well established, and his family had grown, with many daughters and possibly one son. The pharaoh should be in a good position, right? Well, apparently not. For reasons yet to be determined, Akhenaten chose Smenkhkare to be a second king of Egypt. The young man appeared with the regalia of an Egyptian monarch, and he even married Akhenaten's daughter, the princess Merit Aten. Now, it seems that Smenkhkare was ruling alongside Akhenaten. This was an unusual series of events, one that scholars are still investigating. Before his accession, Smenkhkare is totally invisible in the public record. There are no texts, no images, no objects. Nothing to indicate who this man was before he became a ruler. Which leaves us in a difficult position. Historians assume that Smenkhkare was a brother, a cousin, or even a son of King Akhenaten. We can guess that he was a member of the royal family, either part of the core family or the extended group. Otherwise, it seems strange that he would gain power so quickly when there were other individuals around that could hold authority. But if Smenkhkare was a prince, a brother or son of Akhenaten, wouldn't we have heard about him before now? We know that Akhenaten had sisters, and they appear in art and texts, but another son, a prince? Surely he would appear somewhere. It seems strange, right? Well, believe it or not, that is actually quite normal. In fact, it is expected. During the 18th dynasty, Egyptian princes are almost invisible. 
They might show up in small statues, administrative records, or in private tombs. But when it came to monuments, to grand temples and colossal statues, the Egyptian kings actually tended to hide their sons. A pharaoh would appear with the women of his house, his mother, his wives, and his daughters. But in these grand public scenes, the royal sons are left out. It is not clear why the kings did this. Maybe it was political, to avoid any rivals or challenges to the throne. Maybe it was religious, presenting the king, Horus, as the sole male of his family. Or perhaps there was another reason, one that hasn't been untangled yet. It is unclear, but what we do know is that throughout Dynasty 18, many Egyptian kings had sons about whom we know almost nothing. They might appear in small traces in statues or documents, but as far as the public monuments were concerned, they did not exist. So, Smenkkare could easily be a brother or even a son of Akhenaten, one we just haven't seen before. It does happen. Wherever he came from, Smenkkare's reign began in an interesting way. In regnal year 13, give or take, Akhenaten chose to make Smenkkare his co-ruler. And when he did this, Egypt was in the unusual position of having two men sitting on the throne. We call this a co-regency, and it does happen from time to time in Egyptian history. Periodically, Egyptian rulers might decide that they wanted to prepare their successor ahead of time. They would promote their son or chosen heir to a sort of co-king position, and the two men would appear to rule side by side. This might be what Akhenaten did with Smenkkare. When the young man took power, he needed to decide on his public image. The first priority was his name. Officially, Smenkkare's royal name was Ankh-Keperu Ra Smenkkare Ra Jesser Keperu. Loosely translated, we can read these names as, quote, The forms, or manifestations of Ra, are living. One whom Ra's spirit has made potent, sacred of forms or manifestations. End quote. These names are pretty heavy on the solar imagery. They glorify Ra above every other deity. You may think that is specific to the time period of Akhenaten, but it is actually consistent with all of the rulers for Dynasty 18. Throughout this period, the kings of Egypt tended to use throne names that emphasized Ra above all. We see this with every single ruler of the dynasty. For example, Akhenaten's grandfather, Tutmose IV, was officially known as Men Keperu Ra, and King Hatshepsut was Ma'at Ka Ra. The personal names would vary from ruler to ruler, but in terms of the official name, the throne name, every single ruler emphasized Ra. So even though he is associated with Akhenaten, the archetypal sun worshipper, the names of Smenkkare fit into the larger pattern of 18th dynasty rulers. He was just another king who glorified the sun. The names of an Egyptian king were a powerful part of their public identity and their propaganda, and it is important to understand them in their proper context. But names are only half the battle. Now. Let us turn to Smenkkare's deeds. 
Most of our evidence for Smenkhkare comes from his monuments. After becoming king, Smenkhkare commissioned a few building projects. The new ruler built an extension to the great palace of Arket Aten. He added a columned hall to the southern end of the building. This hall has been uncovered by archaeologists, and traces of Smenkhkare's cartouches, his throne names, were found among the scenes. The hall was decorated with grapes and vines, and it may have been a ceremonial space of some kind. There is not much to say about this building, but it is noteworthy, because it is Smenkhkare's one major addition to the royal city. Smenkhkare also built monuments outside of Arket Aten. He did these in conjunction with his wife, the royal daughter Merit Aten, who was now the second queen of Egypt. Smenkhkare and Merit Aten show up in the northern city of Mennefer, aka Memphis. Here, there seems to have been a temple to the Aten, and stone blocks from that temple recorded the names of this couple. It seems that the young queen and her husband were publicly devotees of the Aten. They commissioned monuments to the sun god, and traces of these survive. Not bad. Outside of those couple buildings, there is not much about Smenkare. We do know that he had his own agricultural estates, because records from broken jars of pottery suggest that the young king owned vineyards in the north of Egypt. Estates here produced wine that was delivered to the capital and to settlements elsewhere in Egypt. So Smenkare had his own little economic base, he was a wealthy young man. Beyond that, we also know that his wife, Merit Aten, owned a palace in the capital city, and a sun temple slash garden resort called the Maru Aten. We explored those in episodes 125 and 125b. Believe it or not, these couple of buildings and a few inscriptions are all that we have for this couple as a king and queen of Egypt. There really is not much testifying to their activities. The result of this is that the history of Smenkhkare is as short as they come. Basically, everything we know about him, I just covered. Ideally, we would have more, but as it stands, this is the only information that survives. A shame, but there it is. So Akhenaten appointed Smenkhkare as his co-ruler, and the young man took Merit Aten as his Khemet Nesut Weret, the great king's wife. The royal couple gained wealth and influence, and they made their mark in a few places. Although we do not have that many records, there is enough to give a glimpse of the royal couple's brand, so to speak. They were devotees of Aten, and they expressed that in their building projects. They had their own estates and palaces which produced wealth for them, and they ruled together as a second king and queen of Egypt. That is pretty much all we have of their story. Why is there so little information for Smenkhkare? There are a few possible reasons for this. One of them might be that Smenkhkare's records have simply disappeared. Perhaps his monuments or artifacts were repurposed for later rulers. We'll come back to that in a future episode. Another reason could be related to Smenkhkare's status. Although he appears as a king of Egypt, the young man clearly was not the full equal of Akhenaten. 
He was more like an assistant or a secondary ruler. So although he was a monarch, Smenkkare was still a junior to Akhenaten. Those are two possible reasons, but the third is probably the most likely. You see, although Smenkkare became a king of Egypt alongside Akhenaten, his reign did not last long. In fact, it seems like after coming to power, Smenkkare was dead in less than a year. Akhenaten's co-ruler Smenkkare disappears as suddenly as he arrived. It seems like after coming to the throne, Smenkkare's activities as ruler only lasted for a year or a year and a half before suddenly disappearing, which puts historians in a very difficult position. This young ruler appears, does a few things, and then disappears almost as suddenly. What gives? And how did Smenkkare die? The simplest explanation for the death of Smenkkare is probably natural causes. Not long before his accession, the royal household of Egypt had suffered two significant deaths. Akhenaten's mother, Queen T, and his daughter, Meket Aten, had both passed away in very rapid succession. So it seems like there was a wave of mortality affecting the palace. On current evidence, we could probably say that Smenkkare died in similar circumstances to the other royals. Maybe an illness or epidemic. Although Smenkkare was young, he was not invulnerable, and until we have more information, it would be foolish to speculate about assassinations or murders. So I am going with the natural causes explanation. Smenkkare probably died of illness. With his death, the royal household was in a difficult place once again. When the young king died, Akhenaten buried him somewhere at Arket Aten. The royal tomb is a good bet, but that is uncertain. This is one of those situations with a dozen question marks and very few answers. So all we can say is that Smenkkare passed to the west and his short reign came to its end. Because he ruled such a short time, it is hard to appreciate Smenkkare on his own terms. The man will forever be associated with Akhenaten and the Amarna period, and unless there is some hidden treasure trove of information, we will never have a detailed picture of his life, personality, or activities. And because of the historical period in which he lived, Smenkkare will always be associated with that other ruler, Akhenaten. The young king Smenkkare is a favourite topic for historians working in the Amarna period. There are many different theories about who this man was, where he came from, and what his purpose was on the throne. Fundamentally, the problem is we have almost no information about this king. Compared to other Egyptian rulers, there are way more gaps in the story of Smenkkare than usual. This might be good for people who want to interpret the time period creatively, but for us, it means that we have to be cautious. It is easy to project our own feelings onto a person like Smenkkare, and this is why there are so many different theories about his identity. The problem is that we really can't say much for certain, 
and we have to avoid relying too heavily on one theory or another. This makes it hard to talk about Smenkare in a conventional history, and you should see how many drafts the script for this episode went through before I recorded it. Gaps and ambiguities are interesting, but they lead to a lot of maybes and possiblies. Very few facts we can rely on. Which is frustrating. Smenkare's story leaves a lot to be desired. Then again, that ambiguity has been an asset in some respects. The gaps and the unknowns are central to Smenkare's story, and they are the reason that he is so well known among Egyptian rulers. I think if we knew more about Smenkare, he would actually be less popular, less interesting to historians. After all, it is the gaps, the thorny questions, that attract people's attention. Who doesn't love a challenge? So, Smenkare ruled a short time, and he left a small, elusive legacy. Only a few monuments, a couple of traces, and a lot of guesswork, filling in the gaps. As you can imagine, this makes his story uniquely difficult to tell. But, it also adds a certain glamour to this individual. Smenkare, co-ruler to Akhenaten, is a frustrating figure, but also a terribly intriguing one. So, Akhenaten appointed Smenkare as a co-ruler sometime around year 13. Within a year, or slightly less than two, Smenkare was dead. Another victim in the wave of mortality that was affecting the royal household. He was buried at Arket Aten, maybe. And with that, his short reign came to its end. Today, Smenkare is one of the more famous names in this historical period. And scholars continue to investigate every question they can. Unfortunately, it's a big challenge. The young man is so elusive, so poorly attested in the record, that every aspect of his reign and his identity is still up for debate. For this podcast, Smenkare is a frustrating challenge indeed. Although I've tried to present a relatively cohesive picture of the young man, the truth is that none of this material is certain. Every question about Smenkare could change with new discoveries, and it is entirely possible that future research will fundamentally alter the picture. With that in mind, here's hoping that we are somewhat on the right track. For now, it is time to move on. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. My special gratitude to Linda, Ellen, Terry, Neil, and Kevin, my priest-level backers on Patreon. Your generosity is unmatched, and I am eternally grateful. To everyone listening, I hope you've enjoyed the show. May Aten, the sun who shines on all lands, bless you and your households, and keep you safe from the dangers of the night. (laughs) 